Good morning, everyone. I'm glad you've joined us today. Thanks, everyone, for joining online as well. So it's always good to know that people are tuning in from all over the place to, to join with us in worship today. And uh, we get to continue our series on how to be a blessing. And I, I'm excited about this series. It it's really is, uh, I've said it as we've gone through this, this is not rocket science, this is not complex, but it's powerful. Um, and when we put this into practice, it really has the uh, potential to make a dramatic change on our lives and, uh, and really change this community as well. Uh, can you believe it's only two weeks away to Easter? And we say Easter is a big deal because without it, the church wouldn't exist. Uh, without the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we would have no reason to, really to meet. And so uh, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. And so for Easter, uh, the remarkable thing is, is that so many people would attend church if only they were asked. Uh, and, and so it really all that keeps so many people in our communities from attending church on Easter is no one has invited them to come with them. And we want to make this a little easier for you. So we have invite cards that you can take. And we have a bunch of these just because of how printing works. So take as many as you need. Uh, if you have a place of business that you can put them out on a counter or set them out somewhere on the table or uh, anything you can, any creative uses you think for these, take as many as you need um, and use those to invite people. It has our service times, our website. Uh, you can help us as well by sharing things that we post on social media, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. You can help us by sharing the videos and posts, and we'll continue to, to put more stuff out this week as well, next week leading up to Easter. Uh, but we're excited about it. We're already working on a sermon and our whole service for that. Uh, I'll give you guys a kind of a sneak peek. It's about hope. It's about the living hope we have in Jesus. Uh, if you look in uh, the book of First Peter, it talks about that living hope we have. You look in Colossians, it, uh, it has, you know, we have hope because of the resurrection. Uh, we're going to be pulling all that together and sharing. Uh, really, we're just in a time where so many people need hope. Uh, we look around, we've gone through a lot in our society, in our world, and the hope that we need more than anything is found in Jesus. So uh, I'm excited about that. I hope you guys are as well. Uh, just help us uh, get the word out about Easter, um, and um, it'll be here before we know it. Um, have you ever, I kind of want to start off today by asking you a question. Uh, I think for many people, the thing that holds them back from sharing their faith is simply fear. Uh, it's fear of, I, I'm afraid what the other person is going to think about me. I'm afraid I'm not going to know what to say. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to look stupid. I'm afraid um, I'm going to get rejected. Uh, we could just add, we have all of these excuses, all of these fears that we create in our mind that prevent us from telling people about Jesus. And then in church, when we typically talk about evangelism, uh, it's complicated. Well, you've got to learn this formula. You've got to memorize these five verses. You've got to, to go by this, uh, you know, this, this program, this process. And that was really kind of the basis behind this series is, what if we took the normal everyday things in life uh, that we're already doing, but you do them in a way that allows us to share our faith in a relational way? 
Uh, it's based on a book by Dave Ferguson uh, called How to Bless Your Neighbor. And that's really, or, or, and this series has just kind of been how to explain that. And so I'll show the, uh, well, I'll share first. I think, uh, I'll just kind of jump right in. My first point today is evangelism, when we really get down to it, it should be a normal everyday rhythm of life. It shouldn't be complicated. It shouldn't be a process. It shouldn't be a program. Uh, it should just be a way of living that Jesus just flows out of us. That just as we interact with people, they know who we are. They know whose we are. They know uh, about our faith because we've built in rhythms of life that just help us express our faith. And again, that's really what the basis of this series. Evangelism is really just simply telling people about Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done. And so let's not overcomplicate it. Let's really kind of uh, get back to, 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 to be people who are a blessing to others. It's the uh, very first week of this series. I talked about the difference between being a blesser versus a converter. Now, there's a study done of missionaries, and the, the missionaries that went to be a blessing to the people around them were far more effective than those who simply preached and tried to convert. And that's really the model that, that we're, we're sharing here. When we allow ourselves to be used by God to be a blessing, it, we can have a, a, a dramatic impact on those around us. Uh, this uh, whole series is kind of five principles. Uh, the first is begin with prayer. Uh, we talked about that, how we just simply uh, pray for God to give us opportunities. Uh, pray that God will prepare us. Uh, pray that God will open our eyes to, uh, to, to be able to share our faith. Then we start listening. Again, everyday practice. But just as we interact with people, we really start listening. And we can actively listen and ask good questions so that we learn about them. And this is just making our lives not about ourselves, but caring enough about another, uh, other people to listen to them. Last week, we talked about eating. Now, this is the one I like, right? I mean, who, who would have thought that we can use eating to win people to Christ? I, I like this idea because, uh, but when we look at Jesus, uh, so much of his ministry was gathering around a table. Uh, he was accused of, why are you eating with all of these gluttons and prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors? And all those are the people that he hung around with. And he gathered around a table. When he was preparing his disciples, what did he do? He gathered them around a table and shared a meal with them. And so we can use those times when we gather around a table to get to know other people. Uh, to, to really disciple them, to mentor them, to ask questions, to, to learn about their life. And that, that's a, another part of this. Uh, then today we get to talk about serving um, and what serving looks like. And the, the next week will be all about pulling it all together and how we share our story and how we tell people about Jesus. But this whole series... It's just about getting back to what evangelism is all about. It's a rhythm of life. And if you and I are going to carry out this mission of Jesus, we've got to move beyond just knowing about Jesus to truly living with Jesus and teaching people how we can work together and learn how to follow Jesus. And we, we're going to talk today about how we do that through serving. So let's talk about serving a little bit. Um, Serving people means that we're intentional. 
that we really think about how we can look to meet the needs of others. And as we begin with prayer, and as we listen, and as we gather around tables, you're going to find opportunities that you can be a blessing in someone else's life. And so if we're looking for those opportunities, then we have to start learning about how to put that into practice. There's a story in the New Testament that's convicting. Uh, No matter how many times I've heard it, it always is convicting because it's so relevant to our society today. It's in Luke chapter 10, so you can flip in your Bibles if you have them or open it up on your phones. Uh, We'll have it on the screen as well. Uh, We'll be starting in verse 25, but it's a story of the Good Samaritan. A story I'm sure you've heard many times over the years and heard it in kids' ministry and uh, in youth and as adults. You've heard the story preached on multiple times, but it still is convicting. And it just opens up and it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind. And... Love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, the religious leaders we see throughout Scripture, they're always trying to trap Jesus. Jesus had a way of just messing up their plans. I love it. And here we have this massive question that Jesus is faced with. If we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, then who is our neighbor? I think this is a question that we still wrestle with. Who are we responsible to serve and help? Well, what about those who are in a bad situation and they've, they've messed up and they've caused all, this, all these problems that they're facing? We still supposed to, are they my neighbor? Are we supposed to do and help them? Or, or what about the people uh, who look and act different from, from me? Or what about the people who are struggling with addiction? Or what about those who speak another language? Can't someone else uh, deal with, with those people? And therein lays really the, 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 the bigger question that this man is asking. Who should I have compassion towards? And so Jesus, being the master storyteller that he is, he decides to tell a parable to help them understand this. Jesus replied with this story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up. They left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion towards him. I think the key word for us in this remarkable story is it said that the man saw the, the man, you know, he saw the guy that was beaten and bloodied lying on the side of the road. He saw him and he felt compassion towards him. If we don't start with compassion, 
then we just, we just pass by on the other side. We see people in need. We see, uh, we see problems around us. And if we don't feel compassion, we're not led to action. And what happens is we start making excuses. Well, I have somewhere to be or someone else is better equipped to handle this situation than me. Or I don't want to make things worse, so I'm going to do nothing. And, and, and we make excuse after excuse while we can pass by on the other side of the road. What's interesting is that throughout Scripture, we see God, uh, we see His character defined and explained. Um, one of the, the, the we, as we look through Scripture very early on, we see God uh, kind of his, his nature is defined for us. In Exodus 34, which is uh, in verse 6, it's one of the most uh, quoted verses throughout all of Scripture. And it, and it says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. The first adjective used to describe God is compassion. It's compassion. When we think about who God is, He is a God of compassion. That, that is who God is. Uh, we see this again throughout Scripture. When Jonah uh, was called to go to Nineveh and preach, uh, he didn't want to go. He ran the other way. He was trying to, to escape. And, and, and the reason why is he didn't like the Ninevites. And he says here in this Jonah uh, chapter 4 verse 2, he, he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and a compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Jonah saying, I would have gone, but you're too compassionate. And if I was afraid, you were going to let them off the hook. And I, I, he, he wanted justice. He wanted these people to get what they deserved. He felt zero compassion for them. And he knew God was a God of compassion, so he's running the other way. So when we think about who God is, we think about his nature and his character. He is a God of compassion. And I'm thankful for that because we need it. We see this over and over again. And even fast forward to Jesus. If you think about Jesus, the, the emotional attribute that's most frequently attributed to him is compassion. He, he saw people. He, he, he weeped. He, he felt compassion. He, he looked out and he saw people for who they really were. He saw their potential. That, that was Jesus. And so what I think in this story of the Good Samaritan, what we are learning is we can have different attitudes. We can have different postures toward the world around us. And we're called to have a different kind of attitude towards the world than I think typically we do. And so I kind of want to break down these three different attitudes. There's three different ways we can view the world around us. And I'll leave it up to you to kind of Fill in the pieces to figure out which one is the, the correct one, okay? And, and which one you're maybe, uh, you maybe lean towards. Because I think all of us have a natural inclination to kind of go one way or the other here on these three different ways we view the world. The first one is that many people judge the world. We look at the world and we judge it. 
Now, what happens here is we, we, we kind of separate the world into there's good guys and there's bad guys. It's us versus them. Um, and, and so when we look at this, it causes everything to kind of be a cultural war against people who we don't like. Um, you know, it means that when we see people that do things that we don't like, what are we going to do? Well, let's boycott them. <laughs> well, we don't like them. Let, let's just kind of turn our, let, let's boycott them. This is not driven by compassion, though. It's driven by anger. It's really the, the, the emotion behind judging the world. It, it's one of anger. It's like, I'm a holy and you're not. And so I'm mad at the choices you're making. I'm, I'm mad at how you're living. I want nothing to do with it. Uh, it's kind of, you're, it's a, we're good and you're not. Instead of realizing that we're all sinful apart from Jesus. And I'll just say, like, you've heard me talk. There's a difference between the religion and gospel. Religion, what it does, it divides us into bad people and good people. But the gospel divides us into bad people and Jesus. There's a difference there, right? The gospel tells us we're all without Jesus, right? We were, we were all sinners, and yet Christ still loved us and went to the cross on our behalf. And, and so uh, I, I just share this because I, I feel like we're, we're not careful. We lean towards judging people. How, which way do you think, the, the, do you think the media like promotes this view? Like it's us versus them. I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on. If you watch media, it's trying to divide us into us versus them. You're good. They're not. That, that's, that's what we are drawn towards. We, we like to listen to people who are like us. And, and if you're not like us, then we're, then we're going to judge you. And so this is one way you can view the world, is to, to judge the world. Here's the, the second way. You can avoid the world. You can avoid the world. And uh, don't hang out with sinners or you, you'll catch the sin. <laughs> And so you need to be different. You need to be separated. And, and we know, right, Scripture calls us to be holy people of God, to be set apart, to be different. But does that mean we have to avoid people who are different than us? I think we look to Jesus for the answer of that, right? When we see Jesus, who he hung out with, he hung out with the outcasts. He hung out with the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the, the lepers. The, it didn't matter who they were. He saw them. He felt compassion towards them, and he spent time with them. The, the fear that motivates avoiding the world is not anger. It's not compassion. It's fear. It, it, it's just you're fearful of the world and what it could do to you, so you pull back from the world. Uh, if you study church history, this goes all the way back. You had the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and you had the Essenes uh, that, that were lived in, in the time of the first century, and they, they kind of pulled out and, and lived in their own communities. We see the monastic communities through the early church period where you would uh, have uh, the, the monks kind of gather and, and separate from the world and say, well, the world is evil, so we're going to be separated from the world. And uh, we even see that in some of our cultures, even, uh, even here in the mountains, we do this. We pull apart and say, we have to be so different. You can't go anywhere that there may be sinners present. And, and so this is a fear. And, 
and we've got to be careful. And I think the priest and the Levite in this story probably fell into this category because they saw the man beaten and bloodied and they're thinking, okay, if we stop, um, should we stop? Should we not? And they saw him and they're like, well, what does it mean for us? It means, okay, uh, it would make us ceremonially, ceremonially unclean and we'll have to go through all this stuff. We just need to stay separated from that. And so we'll go on this other side of the road and uh, we don't have time to mess with, with that. Uh, they were avoiding the world. And so that's the second way we can look at the world. There's a third way, though. Uh, and I think you see kind of where this is going. The third way is to serve the world. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question and said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? It's a, it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of what's important. If we keep going in the story, verse 34, it says, Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, and I'll pay you the, the next time I'm here. This is not just a minor, uh, let me just do something, here's a dollar bill and keep going. No, he, he got down off of his donkey, put the man, he traded places with this guy, literally, and, and took him to the end and said, I'm going to take care of you until you get better. I'm going to be responsible for you. This was a serious commitment here. And when you decide to serve the world, you're not motiv motivated by anger, you're not motivated by fear. Instead, you're motivated by compassion. You, 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 he saw him and he said, I've got to do something. Now, I'm guilty, and I don't know if you are, but sometimes if I would say I have selective compassion. I, I'm compassionate towards things that I'm interested in. I'm compassionate towards things that I, I'm comfortable with. Uh, I know what to expect. But when I see things that get me out of my comfort zone or things that I'm uh, maybe a little fearful of, then I'm, I'll just to be honest, right? We tend to, I think we all do this. We tend to walk on the other side of the road. <laughs> Say, well, someone else can take care of that. Someone else, don't, we don't have to worry about that. They'll be fine. We make excuses. And so it's easy to have compassion on people who are like us. But in the midst of this story, there's also this tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. Verse 36, he said, Jesus said, Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, interesting, the one who showed him mercy. He, he wouldn't say, say the Samaritan. Couldn't even say the name. He was, they, they were so despised. He's like, no, not the Samaritan. Is that that one that showed, showed mercy? That, that one. I'm not even going to say it. And Jesus replied, yes, now go and do the same. Now in church history, uh, you've probably heard that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. And the Jews wouldn't walk through Samaria, even though it was a shorter distance. They would go around it just to avoid being around the people. Uh, 
You may not know why as you study church history. And to simplify it a little bit, uh, when the Jews were in captivity in Babylon, uh, you know, it was a bad time for the Jewish nation. Um, And finally they were freed and they were able to go back to their homeland. But some of the Jews stayed in Babylon. They stayed where they had been slaves and captive. And not only did they, sl- did, they, did, did they stay, they started intermarrying with the, the Babylonians that were left and the Assyrians. Those were the people that are the Samaritans. And because of that, right, they were, the Jewish people viewed them, even though they were half Jewish, they viewed them as traitors. You stayed behind when we all came home. So there was, there was bad blood between these two groups. They did not like each other. There was racial tension. There was ethnic tension. They were like, uh, you, they just, they did not, they even had to worship in a separate place. Uh, even the, the, you know, this was, this was a big deal. And so it's interesting. I share that because it's easy to have compassion on people who look like us. But what about the people we don't like? What about the people who don't look like us? What about the people who don't have the same skin color or the same country of origin or the people who don't vote like you? Ooh, I'm now st- I'm stepping on toes now. You mean I'm, I'm supposed to have compassion on people who vote different? <laughs> this, is, this is, right, compassion, uh, it doesn't mean you're liberal or concerned. It means you're like Jesus when you have compassion. And I'll just, can I, just as a side note, I'm going to get up on my soapbox this morning. Don't let politics tell you who you should be compassionate towards or not. Jesus is the one that gets to tell us. Amen? Amen. There's a controversy, and I think in the church world today, even about the word social justice and doing good for others and, and what it's labeled and what it means. And there's books about it and articles about it and And I'm afraid what we've done is we've let culture dictate to us who we should have compassion towards and who we shouldn't. And and I would just say, right, when it comes, I don't care what you label it and how you put it, but we're called to show grace and forgiveness and mercy to people. I don't want somebody on the news media telling me who I should like and dislike. That's not their role. That's not their place. And, and, and yes, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it, but we are called to care for those who have no voice. We're called uh, to, to, to lift up and help the oppressed. We're called to do things and show love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness and grace to the sinners of the world and the outcasts because they need Jesus. And we're the ones that can help them and show them. And we we can stay true to the biblical we can stay true to the biblical message. We don't have to compromise our convictions, but we can do that in a way full of grace and mercy. We can look to Jesus on how to do that. And so I just want to challenge us a little bit, right? Uh, Don't let labels that the media creates keep you from loving and serving others. What if, I'll just say this, I think when, he, when we read through this story of the Good Samaritan, it's like, well, do you identify with the priest or the Levite or, uh, or the Samaritan? And we, we're like, oh, we would be the Samaritan. <laughs> We'd be the one that stopped and helped. I don't mean to burst your bubble, but I have a feeling most of us wouldn't be in that group. 
Most of us would have an excuse to say, oh, there's a reason I can't stop and help. Do you know who I, I think we should identify with? Is the man who was beaten and bloodied and left for dead on the side of the road. Because when we realize that we were in that place and Jesus was the one who stopped for us and healed us and, and bandaged us and, and brought us back to life, that's when we can then go and extend that same grace and love and forgiveness to others. We've got to realize that was us. It's not us versus them. It's not we're better than everyone else. No, we're all in the same boat. We need Jesus. That's how we can have compassion, is understanding who we are. That kind of leads me to my next point. I'll get off my soapbox. I'm about to preach. If we want people to know Jesus, then we need to serve like Jesus. It's not enough just to talk about Jesus. It's not enough just to, 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 to attend church for an hour a week. We need to start putting our faith into practice. John Wesley said this. He said, one of the principal rules of religion is to lose no occasion of serving God. And since he is invisible to our eyes, we are to serve him in our neighbor, which he receives as if done to himself in person, standing visibly before us. In other words, he is saying when we serve our neighbor, it's the same as serving Jesus, just like he's standing right in front of us. We can't see Jesus, but we can see our neighbor. And so when we serve, it's just like we're serving Jesus. And so as we look to Jesus then, if we look for his example, he, he kind of took the, uh, the, the, the common, I think, belief of the, of the day that in order to uh, to be a great person, you had to achieve power and wealth and prestige. And, and the higher you rise, the more power you have. And, and Jesus takes that and says, if you want to serve others, you got to flip all that upside down. He's going to take that, turn it on its head. He's going to give them a new paradigm. And he did that by gathering his disciples together. So in John 13, I, I, we can't talk about serving without going to this passage and looking at it as well. This was just before Jesus was betrayed. He's gathered his disciples together. The disciples have been arguing about who's the greatest. Well, who, No, I'm greater. I'm greater. John's busy saying, well, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. You, you pick that up as you read the book of John. He kept saying that the disciple that Jesus loved, he's talking about himself. All right. Uh, and uh, there's all this talk, and no, who's, I'm going to sit at his right hand. No, I want to sit at his right hand. No, I'm better. I'm be there's all this talk uh, between the disciples, and Jesus gathers them together. They're all reclined around the table, and Judas, and, and Judas is there too, but Jesus notices something. It, uh, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. To, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had, he had around him. 
So let's try to, to ex- understand the scene, right? Jesus, the king of the universe, the creator of the entire world, who left heaven and came to earth, right? He is the one that spoke everything into existence. He is at a table reclined with his disciples, and he notices they all have dirty feet. And I would add they had proud hearts, too, that he saw. See, when they came in, somebody was supposed to wash the feet uh, to prepare them for the meal. It was usually the job of the lowest ranking person in the room. And so if they had a slave or a servant, that would be the person that did it. In this case, it was just the disciples. And so what happened? They're walking in and said, it's not going to be me. You uh, You can do it. And it ended up they were all so prideful that nobody would do it. And so Jesus, in the middle of all this, he gets up, takes off his robe, wraps it around his waist, and kneels down and gets the pitcher of water. And at this point, the disciples have got to be thinking, wait a minute, no, Jesus, not him. He, he's our master. He's not the one that's supposed to do this. And I, I can just imagine they're looking at each other saying, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you should have done it? That was your job. And they're all like blaming each other like, who, why, who, you know, they're all like, and the, the emotion I've, I've got to think they're experiencing this at this point is shame. Why didn't we do this? Surely not him. Not, why is he? Do, we, we should have done this. And, and Jesus is the one that's bending down to, to wash their feet. And, and again, I think, you know, you say, well, I would have done that. No, we would have been the ones like, we would have been pretending like we didn't see it. We'd been the one not making eye contact. We'd been the one that, that would just like, oh, you know, I'm getting old. I just can't bend down anymore. I think someone else needs to do it. My knee hurts. I can't get down and up again. I'm, good. I'm using that excuse a lot right now. We, we, we're great at making excuses. And, and then, I love, you know, Jesus has this conversation with Peter. And Peter's like, no, you're not going to wash my feet. All right, verse 6, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? It's like, and, and as he's saying, you can't do that. That's not, he's like, no, I'm going to refuse. And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Uh, Peter protested, no, you will, you will never, ever wash my feet. And then Jesus replied to him. Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And I think at this moment, it's where it finally kind of clicked for Peter. He's like, okay, wait a minute here. Jesus is teaching us a lesson. And I need to submit. I need to let him do what he, he, he's doing here. He, uh, there's something to learn here. And he's like, okay. It, it, and I love Peter's just like, okay, then don't just stop with my feet. You can go ahead and do my head as well. And wash my hands. You can just wash me all over. Do whatever you need to do because I want to belong to you. And Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. Judas was there. And that's what he meant by that, saying you're not clean. He's giving them an example here. He's showing them what it means to truly serve. And then verse 12, he says, after washing their feet, he put on the robe again. He sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. 
Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. The message here is simple. God blesses you when you serve others. Rick Warren said this. He said, the only way you can serve God is by serving other people. I've heard it said that you're never more like Jesus than when you are serving others. And so it's, it's just it's acknowledging who, what Jesus has done in your life. Acknowledging that you care and you have compassion about those around you. No matter what the circumstance is that they find themselves in. When I look at our church, I'm so thankful that we've got a lot of people serving in a lot of different ways. We've got people serving on Sunday morning, upstairs, downstairs, outside, inside. We've got people serving during the week. We've got people serving with kids and people serving with teenagers. And and we've got people also, though, serving in our community in a number of ways. We've got people serving on boards and serving in ministries and uh, we've got a couple. We, we've got a video I want to show here, but we, there's a couple in our church that are here today. I'll embarrass you guys a little bit, but Evan and Leah uh, have been a blessing to our church and a blessing to our community. Right? Before they came to Galax, they lived in India for seven years, uh, working uh, to free women in sex trafficking. Um, they they're here now, serving in so many different ways. Evan's on city council. Leah's on the school board, and Leah is now president of the Freedom Firm. The same group they worked with in India. Uh, and so they're continuing to work with that ministry and, and, and rescue women who have been trapped in sex trafficking. And, and Eugene sat down with, with Leah and, and did an interview and, and asked her about serving and about how we can all serve. And I want you to watch that video now with us. We learn a prayer when we're young about, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And... I think we think that that means big things, that means impacting the world or changing something huge, but how do we do that? And we really don't know, how, we're small, but I think when you see in scripture when it talks about, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and what that means, it's, it is small. It's the, the seed that falls into the ground and dies and bears much fruit. It's the bit of yeast that works through the dough uh, and changes all of it. And so it really is the small things that, that change. We can change, uh, impact the area around us. And I think that God puts us in our areas. He places us as His children. Um, and, and as we get this idea that we're clay jars, we're just... To, we're here to, to serve God and, and to be used by Him, and He puts our, His treasure in us. Um, and I think He wants us to engage our world. And so we look around us and see, who, do, who can we touch? Who is within my realm of reach? And we see our family and our neighbors and our community, our state, our country, and, and going beyond and see who God puts in your path. Um, you know, in my life, I've seen God plant us in, in particular places and, and give, us, give us great friendships or relationships. And um, as we just say, God, use me in this place, we see Him use us. But God, I think, calls us to engage. He says, follow me. And um, 
as we follow him, we don't always know where that leads, but we know that it's within where he places us, within our reach, we're called to bless. So we start with our family, we, then we look to our neighbors, and it may be with our neighbors just bringing uh, the banana bread after, uh, after someone's been sick. Um, it might be a prayer. It, we look at our community and we look at how to serve. And I think um, we can never say, oh, that should change, if we're not willing to be one to help it to change. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I, I challenge everyone that um, don't feel like you can't do something. God is with you and He is on your side and all He asks is that you be that vessel, that jar willing to be used by Him. That tiny grain, that seed, that bit of yeast in the bread that works throughout because it's, it's God who works. It's His kingdom that comes. Um, and so I challenge and encourage you, look around and see where has God placed you? Which workplace, which neighborhood, which home? and see who's within your reach and begin to touch and make impact where God has called you for His kingdom. It's just simple acts of serving. It starts right where you are, right where God has planted you, and you look for opportunities. Why? You begin with prayer. You listen. You eat with people. You see where God has put you right where He wants you to be. And I love what she said is, that, you know, don't ever complain about something without getting involved and being part of the solution too, right? And so instead of saying, somebody will, will hand, somebody needs to do something. Don't, don't use that as an excuse. Someone, you know, and I have people all the time, the church needs to do something about whatever it is. I'm like, great, how can we help you do that, right? I mean, that, that's, it, it's, we're doing this together. If God puts someone or something on your heart, then he, maybe he's calling you to do something about it. And I would say we have to be intentional enough to prepare ourselves to be ready for it. Maybe that means you're setting aside time to, to really look at how you can be a blessing. Maybe it means you set aside and you actually have a, I've heard of people having a blessing budget. All right. You set aside money every, every month, every week, just to, to, to go out and be a blessing and look for opportunities. This is what being intentional means because Jesus when he said how people will know us in John 13, 35, he says, this is how they're going to know your disciples. It's because of your love, your love for one another. It's going to prove to the world that you are my disciples. And, and so I just want to challenge us this, this morning. Will you allow God to use you to be a blessing to the people around you? Would you just allow him and maybe God is calling you to, to serve. Maybe it's inside the church. Maybe it's in the community. Maybe you have a passion. Maybe you're, you're passing by something every day that's breaking your heart. And he's calling you to go deeper and dig deeper and do something about it. For our church, we have the Engage Fund. And that's one of the ways we use to be able to support ministries and missions and, and opportunities as they come up. Um, but I, I'll tell you, the easy thing to do is when someone comes with a need, say, well, here's $25 going your way. It's much harder to get involved in their world and their life and find out what the real problem is and walk with them to find a solution. That's what God calls us to do. It's messy. It doesn't always turn out like we expect or we want it to. But that's what real ministry looks like. That's what service looks like. It's interesting when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, he told him what he needed to do. He walked away dejected. He didn't choose the right thing. 
And that's going to happen to us sometimes. But it doesn't mean that we quit doing it. It doesn't mean we get cynical. It doesn't mean we turn our back on people who need the gospel the most. It was the love of Jesus that led him to his cross. His compassion on us. That's the same compassion we share to others. I want to challenge you this morning. Who's God calling you to bless? Who's he put on your mind, your heart? Who, is, who are you interacting with on a day-by-day basis? Is it your family? Is it your coworkers? Is it your friends, your fellow students? Your, where is it that he has placed you and how can you be a blessing? That's really the question. Next week, we're going to talk about how we can put these things into practice and, and share our story, share God's story and how we can do that. And again, it's not going to be complicated. It's going to be really simple. It's just an everyday rhythm of life. But I want us to pray right now and think about who God is putting on our hearts and minds to reach out to this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word, just as we open it up, it convicts us, it challenges us, it confronts our, our false idols in our life. And I pray that as we as we look at the world around us, that we would not get bitter and angry and fearful, but that we would see the world around us and have compassion on those who need Jesus, those who need hope. And as we enter into this Easter season, Lord, where so many people are hurting and so many people are looking for hope, let us be the ones who can introduce those people to Jesus. Because Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one who can fix every need in our life and meet every need and, and, and restore us and, and give us a new life and outlook and heart. Lord, I pray that we can be people who would just share the compassion that we've received and share that same compassion and grace with others. Lord, uh, forgive us where we have been judgmental and, and angry. And give us a heart of compassion. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to to share our faith with others. And Lord, just help open our eyes to see those needs. And finally, Lord, if there's anybody listening online, anybody here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, would today be that day that they would just simply surrender and say, Lord, I, I trust you. I believe. I know you went to the cross just for me. You died on my behalf. And so I believe. I I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness, Lord. Lord, help me to follow after you. Help me to see others as you see them. Help me to extend the same forgiveness that you have given me to others. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. You've been so good to us. We have so much to be thankful for. And so as we close our service today and praise your name, would you just help us, Lord, to... Just to, just to understand who you are and um, help us to, to share that with others. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this morning. Amen.